All right, well, good morning and Happy New Year. Um, we had a very fast-paced, little bit frantic, but awesome holidays. Uh, we thought it would be a great idea to pack two trips into one. And so we took the first part of the holidays, and we drove to Florida, and we had some time with some family there. And then we packed up and drove to Michigan and spent some time with Amanda's family there. And then we drove back to Texas and got in late Wednesday night. And so it was the best kind of holiday. It was the one where it was a great time, but it's also great to be home. And so while we were out, um, man, one of my highlights of being in Florida was that Judah, our three-year-old, he got to experience a roller coaster for the first time. And so he got on this puppy. I got to show you his response. Look at that dude. He's three. He is just, whoa, hands up. Now, my mom's beside him. I'm not sure what her experience is there, but Judah is sold out. He had a blast. Every time he got off a roller coaster, he was like, let's do another one. Uh, so I think a trip to Six Flags will be in our not-too-distant future. And then our time in Michigan was great. Uh, one of my highlights, it snowed a couple of days. And so on one of those days, I was able to get out with the kiddos, and we made a snowman. Uh, yeah, not a fit in your hand or sit it on the trash can snowman that they're familiar with from living here, but a full-blown snowman. And the ironic thing is the locals were all like, it barely even snowed. Like, how did you even have enough snow to do something? And we're like, man, this is awesome. So it was a great time. And then getting back home uh, this week, starting a new year. It, we just had a really sweet time of sitting down together around the table and reflecting on the year that has been and who we are as a family and what we really want to focus on and grow in uh, collectively together, but then also as individuals. And so, you know, someone said they want to grow in their thankfulness and someone in uh, their obedience. And, you know, for me, it was really just to grow in my love for others. Uh, I, I'm a fairly outgoing, uh, extroverted person, and so a lot of times when I spend time with people, it can look loving, but it's really just because I enjoy it. And so a real challenge I wanted to do is spend more time just thinking about others. You know, it's great to wrestle with my kids and throw them around and dance with them, but if I'm honest, I do a lot of that because I like it. And so what can I do to just really focus on loving them and my wife in the way that they uh, would enjoy being loved and receive love. And so this morning as we dig in, I want to do something a little bit similar uh, as a church. I want to reflect and look at who we are as Grace Bible Church. And then I want to take some time to uh, look at an area that I feel like God has really just placed on my heart to challenge us to grow and excel more. And so the beginning first half, we will really just focus on who are we, Grace Bible Church. And then after, afterward, we'll really dig into a piece of being the church, which is being devoted to the fellowship of believers. So as we dig in, you may know our name, Grace Bible Church. And that name wasn't just given to us. It was very intentional. It is descriptive of who we are. And so grace is very important to us. Um, in general, it's just a term that means unmerited favor. It's just that God bestows his goodness on us in ways that we don't deserve. But when it's used most often, it's referring to uh, its role in salvation. 
And so we believe that in salvation, we are not required to earn our salvation and we are not required to prove or um, demonstrate that we are worthy of that salvation. Not only are we not required to, but we absolutely can't. And so a common verse uh, that we use around here is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so right there, you see highlighted that it is purely a gift. We bring nothing to the table. Really, that's not completely true. We bring something to the table. It's brokenness. It's sin. It's an inability to do anything about our separation from God. And yet in his goodness, in his grace, he provides us the opportunity for the gift of salvation. Uh, Another verse that looks at this is Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Once again, you see the comparison. Works, you get what you deserve. Faith, you receive the blessing of salvation through grace. Another thing I love about this verse there at the end, in our faith in Jesus Christ, yes, our sins are forgiven. Yes, the debt that is on us, the penalty that we deserve is absorbed in Christ. But also, we receive Christ's righteousness. So the sin that we carry is forgiven and the perfect righteousness of Christ is given to us all based on faith because of his grace toward us. And then lastly, Romans eleven six. 6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. And so that one just gets straight to the point. Grace by definition is free. Grace, by definition, is a gift. There is nothing on our end. Uh, There is no deal. There is no bargain. There is nothing that we keep up. It is granted to us. And so there on that uh, foundation, on that environment of grace, then we are a Bible church. And so the Bible, um, it's really important to us. It is revered by us. Uh, We think the scripture teaches that it is inerrant, it is inspired, it is living, it is active, and it is the final authority for theology and for practice. And so uh, a common verse that we reference a lot in regards to the Bible is 2 Timothy um, 3, 16 and 17. And it says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good word. And so there you see that it is inspired by God, and it is adequate, it is the authority for what we believe about who God is, and then in practice of what we should do. Another verse, 2 Peter 1.21 says, But know this first of all, That no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. 
So we get a glimpse there into the method of inspiration that God used, that by his Holy Spirit, he spoke to men that he had chosen. Men that had specific backgrounds, men that had certain personalities, certain occupations, and through them and through who they are, he communicated, he spoke the words to be penned uh, for our scriptures. And then lastly, we have Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When it comes to verses about the scriptures, this is one of my personal favorites. Because I tend to lean to the side of theology, to knowledge, to wisdom, uh, to headiness, and I lack in dependence on God and on prayer and on relationship. And so this is helpful for me because I can get in ruts where I approach the word and I just go there to mine data. I just go there to mine knowledge. And this reminds me that my time in the word is, is an interaction and that it can reveal, it can show me my motivations. It can show me things that I can't even discern on my own. And so the word is living and it's powerful and it has a transforming effect on us as we read it and interact with it. So we're grace, we're Bible, but we're not a seminary, we're a church. And so what does it mean to be a church? And I think as, as we open the scripture, if we were going to look for a place that it, it, it most clearly lays out what a church is, it would be in the beginning of Acts. <clears throat> you've got the disciples gathered, uh, you've got Pentecost where they've received the Holy Spirit And they've been told, hey, you are are empowered. You are now to go out. You're now to be my witnesses when that Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so there's thousands of people gathered. And Peter stands up and he gives this amazing talk about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And he preaches his life, his death, and his bodily resurrection. And it says that thousands believed in Jesus Christ that day. And that about 3,000 were added to their number of believers. <clears throat> and then following that, we see a description of what did they do. We've got these new believers in Jesus Christ who've been brought together. And so in Acts 2.42, we see that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, devoting themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so right there, what do we see a church? Well, First off, it's a group of people who all believe in Jesus Christ and are united, who are, who are baptized into his spirit, into his body by the Holy Spirit. But in this scripture, we see that they're devoting themselves to the teaching of sound doctrine. They're devoting themselves to the fellowship of believers. Devoting themselves to observing the Lord's Supper and devoting themselves to prayer, to praying together. And I think also in the beginning of Acts and at the end of Matthew, we, we see that the church is called to outreach, to go forward, having received his spirit, and be the hope, carry the hope of Christ to the world. And so that is who we are. We are Grace Bible Church. 
And so what I want to do at this point is, knowing who we are, I want to press into the second uh, descriptor there of church, being devoted to the fellowship of believers. And, And I want to look at what is our relationship to one another, the people in this room. How are we connected? What is our relationship to each other? And we will do this. uh, We'll be in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be looking. Um, Once we see our relationship to one another, also, what does that mean? What does that look like? And then lastly, what happens when we live in that way? So that's what we're going to jump into here. Um, Our relationship to one another. 1 Corinthians 12. We'll start in verse 12. And read 12 and 13. And it reads, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, and so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. This is powerful. This is describing us. We are all members, individually members of one body. And yes, when we place our faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and universally we are part of all believers as the body of Christ. But we who have chosen to worship here, to gather here, we are a body We are interconnected to one another. And so we do have a a responsibility and a relationship. And as we come together, each of us individually, we are the body of Christ as one. And so from here, he goes on to talk about the, the different parts of the body. He says, we've got ears and we've got noses and we've got mouths and we've got hands and we've got feet and none of them are any more important than any of the others. And none of them can say that we don't need you because we need all of them. And that section is often turned to to look at our different giftings and our need for one another to be active in the body. And I think that's awesome. But where it takes us uh, in Verse 24, halfway through, it starts, but God, look at this, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. So the reality is we are interconnected. And your health and your life affects me and affects us as a whole. And God's desire for our body is that there be no division in it. That we be unified And the mechanism by which we are healthy as individuals and as a body as a whole is that we care for one another. We have care for each other. And then the result as we pursue unity 
and we do that by caring for one another, is that our entire body is either honored or it suffers. And that body is the body of Christ. So the reality is that we are interconnected, whether you like it or not. The health of the person in the row in front of you or behind you impacts you. And that should be such a concern to us that we fight against division and we pursue unity by caring for one another. And when we do, the outcome is that the whole body of Christ is honored. I think a great picture of this, there's a receiver in the NFL and his name's Odell Beckham Jr., and he's a really good receiver. But there was, there was a game that they were playing where he's running down the field. He's going out for a pass. And the, the defender is yanking on him. It's pass interference. He's falling over. But he leaps back. And he's like fully stretched out. And with three fingers as he falls into the end zone, he catches the ball. It, I mean, look, for the two of you that haven't seen it, you've got to check this out. <laughs> that is amazing. The defender fell out of the picture. He yanked on him so hard. He has reached back and he grabs it. And it was phenomenal. It was all over every sports news site. You could see a three-finger grab, fully stretched out. I mean, it was such a big deal that if you were to go to a a playground or a football field today and there were kids out there and you make a one-handed catch, they're going to say, man, you Odelled that. It was a big deal. But you know what you didn't see in the news? You didn't see just pictures of his three fingers. You didn't see just one small part of his body being honored for such an amazing feat. You saw the whole body, the person of Odell Beckham Jr. being honored and being praised. But the reality is, it took all of Odell to be healthy, all of the parts of Odell working together to make that catch happen, right? His heart, his lungs, he's got to be healthy enough to still be able to run down the field at this point in the game, right? His feet, he's got to be able to get off the line and run down the field, his legs and his muscles to, to jump in the air and to stretch back, his eyes to see the ball and be able to track it in, and his arm to reach out so that those three fingers can grab that ball and make an amazing catch. Same way. We may not stop to think about all of the different members of this body, but if the body of Christ here where we gather is to be honored and is to be lifted up, we need every single member to be healthy and to be cared for so that we can be unified. There's a verse in Ephesians uh, 4, 15 and 16 that just lays this out so beautifully. It says, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So maybe you hear that, maybe you get it. Maybe you go, okay, I'm in. I'm in. The other people in this room, their health matters. If we're going to be a healthy body, if we're going to be a church that, that shines the light and the love of Christ to the world, 
I got to care about these other people, but how do we do it? What does it look like? And the answer is really pretty simple. We just live out the one another's. We just practice the one another's. The New Testament is riddled with one another's. Letter after letter to church after church about how they should be behaving with one another. So here we go. Let's look at it. In the church with one another, we should love one another, be devoted to and honor one another, live in harmony with one another, forgive one another, consider one another, accept and instruct one another, greet one another, be united in mind with one another, restore and live in peace with one another, serve one another, be humble, gentle, patient, forgiving one another, submit to one another, be thankful for, teach and admonish one another, build up one another, be sympathetic with one another, encourage one another day after day. So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Guys, we cannot accomplish that merely in this room once a week. First of all, it's day after day. It's an ongoing relationship. Secondly, that is way too intimate and too personal and too deep of an interaction for any of us to be able to do that effectively with everyone in this room. And yet everyone in this room needs to be doing that with someone else in this room. For our health, for Christ to be honored We have to care that everyone in this room is engaged in that kind of relationship with other people in this room. But that doesn't neglect what we do in this room. It comes alongside what we do in this room. As we come together and we corporately worship, it comes with that undergirding of love, of one another that we share with each other. In this uh, passage here in Matthew 5, it says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. The offering's important. The worship's important. But so is your relationship with those that you are gathering with. So we just had a period of time with every knee where we stopped and we devoted ourselves to go before the Lord and go, hey God, I want to lay myself and my resources before you, right? I want to effectively engage with my resources in a way that's honoring to you and furthering of your purposes. And I would say our relationships with one another, our care for one another, our commitment and our devotion To unity in this church is another topic that each of us should go before the Lord and go, God, man, do I understand my interconnectedness and my dependence on the other members of this local body? Am I passionate that I'm staying healthy, that they may be healthy, that your body may be lifted up? So what happens when we buy in? 
when we live that way. I think there's two major things that happen when we commit to devotion of one another community with the people in this body. One, it makes us more like Christ. And two, it marks us as Christ's followers to the onlooking world. So in making us more like Christ, Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Hebrews 10, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. When we engage in one another community, in a body with other believers that gather together for corporate worship, it is life transforming. The day of the return of Christ is drawing near. So we are called to Assemble together to stimulate one another on to love and to good deeds. And as we do that, we are sharpened by one another as iron sharpens iron. There is something about the blessing that God has given us in the devotion to the fellowship of believers that we become more like him. Yes, it's inconvenient. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, often it takes some gymnastics to get childcare, but it's vitally important to our health as individual members and as a body together. There's a church in Dallas uh, named Watermark, and every year they have all of their members uh, fill out an evaluation uh, just of how they're doing and that they're bought in with what the church is doing and that they're committed to the purpose. Uh, and Watermark pulls a lot of these uh, answers, and they they analyze it. And so they kind of know, like, what is the health of our church? Where are we struggling? Where are we strong? Where should we spend resources in the next year? And one thing they did is they brought together uh, some results from this survey. Okay? And in this section of the results, they were comparing two groups within Watermark. Okay? Both of these groups are bought into the theology of Watermark. Both of these groups attend regularly at Watermark. Both of these groups sit under the same teaching at Watermark. The only difference between these two groups and this comparison was that one subset is engaged in regular one another community and the other is not. And when they compared these groups, this is, these are the results they found. They found that the ones in regular one another community we're 82% more likely to study the Bible five to seven days a week. The ones in regular one another community were 177% more likely to consistently apply Scripture in daily circumstances. 193% more, more likely to describe themselves as consistently content and joyful. 159% more likely to consistently and effectively communicate with their spouses. 117% more likely to be engaged in training their children to know and follow Christ. 157% more likely to find contentment in their season of singleness. And 172% more likely to share their story of grace and the gospel with non-believers with whom they have relationships. Now, the variable here was regular one another community. 
Theology, we're bought in. Regular attendance, we're bought in. The teaching on Sunday morning, we're bought in. But simply having regular, one another community created incredible life transformation. And if you think, oh, it's just watermark. No, Weight Watchers found the same thing. Those people who follow the plan and who are bought into the program but try to do it online or through an app on their own saw very diminished returns for those who engaged regularly in a Weight Watchers community. Same program, same way of going about it, same diets. But those who engaged in regular community saw amazing life transformation. CrossFit, they say the same thing. They see members who have been isolated and on their own, who have been wanting to transform their lives and their health, and yet by becoming a part of a regular community that loves them and cares about them, they see that life transformation that they knew was possible and wanted, but just weren't getting there on their own. And so it makes us more like Christ. But also it marks us as Christ followers to the onlooking world. When we engage in one another community, John 13, 34 and 35, everyone will know you are my disciples by your ability to communicate the gospel. No. By your regular attendance on Sunday morning. No. Obviously, those are important things. But everyone will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That comes back to the way we live our life individually shines the light of Christ so that our Father may be honored and glorified. Our good works, the way that we operate and live with and treat one another. And then John 17, this one I couldn't put the whole 20 to 23 up there, but this is Jesus, and he's, he's gathered with the disciples, and he's praying for them. And he says, Father, I pray this prayer not only for them, but also for everyone who believes in me through them. And it just so happens that that's everybody, because the disciples started it, and their faithfulness to carry the word, we all believe through them being faithful to carry the word. So Jesus is praying for us. And he prays that we may be completely one so that the world will know that you sent me and that your love for them, you love them even as you did love me. So our unity, our unity shows the world that the Father sent the Son and that he loves them. It's a big deal. It's important. It makes us more like Christ. It marks us as Christ followers to the world. And then you end up with this beautiful circle, right? We believe in Christ, and so we're a part of this body. And as we engage and love each other and one another's, we grow up into maturity. And as we love each other and we grow, that shines the light and the love of Christ to the world so that they would come and see and come and taste and believe. And then guess what? They enter into the community and they are loved and they love one another. And it's over and over 
a cycle because of the way that we are devoted to the fellowship of believers here where we gather. Okay, so that brings us full circle back to who we are as Grace Bible Church. It's by the grace of God that we believe in Christ and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it's by his word that we grow an understanding of who he is and he, how he would have us live. And then it's by his church that we have the body of Christ to live it out in community. I really think a big reason that God's had community on my heart for us is because of our growth. In the beginning, uh, I wasn't here, but Creekside was smaller. And everyone was serving very frequently, and it was one service. And so the ability to know everyone in the room and the ability to have an interaction and a care for everyone in the room was much more possible. But we have been growing. Even right now, this year, we're up about a hundred adults in the service from where we were just a year ago. And in just a year, we'll have a building. And God willing, our numbers will increase even more. And so if right now we don't buy into needing to be concerned for the health of everyone in this room, and we don't set a culture and an expectation that here at Creekside, at Grace Bible Church, we love one another. If you're going to be a part of us, fantastic. Find some people here to love. Because it's important. Because it makes us more like Christ and it marks us as Christ followers to the world. And if we don't, then we'll grow, we'll add to our numbers, and people will come in and they'll hear great teaching about the life-transforming grace and truth of Christ, and then they'll walk out the doors and they'll get to live lives of isolation, missing out on the body, the community that God has given us where we get to live that out and experience that transformation. So this morning, uh, in, in, in honor, in reflection of being a community, we're going to take communion together. And so if the men would uh, gather the elements and bring them forward, communion is a great opportunity for us to stop, for us to reflect on Jesus Christ, on his body, on his blood that was broken and shed for us. But communion is also a built-in time for us to pursue and preserve unity in the body. Because there's a proper way to approach community. There's a proper way to approach communion, and that's with the community in mind. We wait for one another. We take together. We don't rush into it. And so today, as the men bring uh, the elements forward, I just want you to take some time just to pray, reflect on Christ and what he's done, and reflect on your awareness and your commitment to unity, true unity in this body, and how we can pursue that, how you can pursue that by loving one another. Men, you can go ahead and come forward. From 1 Corinthians 11, we read that the Lord Jesus, 
And the night in which he was betrayed took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Dearly Father, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the great love that you show us, that you have for us. I thank you for the grace that you've extended to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus, I thank you for your your willingness to come to earth to live a sinless life, to die on the cross for me. I thank you that Jesus was resurrected and lives even today, that we may have confidence in him for the forgiveness of our sin. God, I thank you for your scriptures that unfold who you are and the way that we are to live and following after you. And God, I thank you for the church, the community that you've provided for us to love one another. God, I pray that we would be faithful to reflect on and pursue all of these areas, but specifically for us as we deal with growth and prepare for possible growth, that we would be committed to the individual members that gather here, that we could be a unified, healthy body. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go out today, I'm going to leave you with a quick challenge. If you are already in community, if you already have some people in this room that you are living out the one another's, I say excel still more. Are you meeting regularly enough to actually carry out caring for one another? Are you staying connected in between times of getting together that you are encouraging one another day after day? When you gather, do you walk away from there knowing more intimately, more authentically the people that are in your group? Do they know you so that you can speak into one another's lives? If you're not in a small group of community, my challenge to you is to find a place to live out the one another's. There are lots and lots of different names that we call it that gather around different purposes. First call, mom to mom, Bible study, home group, marriage ministries. But if you do not have a community where you're living out the one another's, man, don't let the semester go without pursuing it and seeking it out. You need it. I need it. We need it for one another. So let's go out and let's be serious about pursuing unity by the way that we care for one another. May you go out in God's grace and God's truth this week and this year.